You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit stonegate-church.com. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we are. And uh, we're, we're coming to the end of this uh, this section on spiritual warfare. If you just want a, a way of thinking about this, I mean, I consider this section of Scripture gospel gold. I mean, it, it is... Great stuff where Paul is giving us great insight into life and into the gospel. Okay, so so throughout this passage, let me just kind of recap some of the things that, that we've hit. We've talked about how Paul has shown us that there is a spiritual world, right? And so we, we talked a few weeks back about Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, where he prayed for his servant that God would open his eyes, and he saw a whole thing behind his five senses that he had no idea was there. And so this is what Paul's saying, that behind what you can um, see and touch and taste and smell and hear, behind that curtain exists a whole nother world. Okay, so he's shown us that there's a thing called a spiritual war, or a spiritual world, and he's gone on to say that, that behind the curtain that there is a spiritual war that's raging. Okay, this has been what we've talked about for the last several weeks. Um, Ephesians 6, uh, 12, I mean, th- this points at that, that there is a, an invisible war that is raging. And so we've talked about how it's the clash of these two kingdoms, that you have got the unseen and expanding kingdom of God that is colliding with and crushing this unseen and crumbling kingdom of Satan. Okay, so we, we've got these two kingdoms. They're colliding, it's this clash of these two kingdoms. And we've talked about this, how this war is personal. You can't avoid it. You can't run around it. You can't, um, you can't live apart from it. Um, when you think about your life, it is lived at the colliding point, at the point of friction between these two kingdoms where they're colliding. This is where the wars live. This is why it says in Ephesians 6.12, look at that verse. This is why it says in there, we wrestle. It's not they, them, those people. It is we wrestle. It is you are wrestling. It's I'm wrestling. You can't avoid it. This is why it is so difficult for you to live out what you know. This is why it's so difficult for us to live out what the gospel produces in us. This is why it's hard to parent as the gospel would have us parent. To work as the gospel would have us work. To be in our marriage like the gospel would have us being in our marriage. Okay, This is that spiritual war. It's personal. You're in it. And some of you right now are in the thick of it. Right, Your day of evil, as verse 13 says, it's here. Okay, so it's a personal conflict. And I want to remind you of this this morning, that this conflict has eternal consequences. The souls of little boys and little girls, of moms and dads, of young men and young women, of grandmas and grandpas, are in the balance of this conflict. Right? I mean, it doesn't get any bigger. The stakes don't get any higher than what we're talking about here. So this has been one of my hopes for us over the last few weeks, is that God would raise our awareness of spiritual warfare, that it's in the common grind of your life. It's not the extraordinary. This is in the common grind of your life, and He would start to bend the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we live around this reality. Now remember, in this passage, Paul's given us this one word four times in the first five verses, to stand. This is what we do in spiritual warfare. We stand. And here's the great thing. We're not left to our own devices. Um, look at verse 10. This is where Paul says, strengthen yourself in the Lord. We've said this over and over, that we are dependent upon. Resisting requires God's strength. We're dependent upon the strength of God. This is not every man for himself. This is God for every son or daughter whom he's claimed for himself. 
You get that? I mean, that's a big idea there. This is, this is the reality that we get to strengthen ourselves in Christ the victor. Our victory is dependent upon Him, who Colossians 2 says, has disarmed and triumphed over His enemies. Now, verse 11 and 13 kind of show us what it means to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We put on the armor of God. We run to. Resisting requires these resources of God. We call them the armor of God. That's what Paul calls them. Calls them. And we, we define the armor of God as all that you have and all that you are in the gospel. That's what this armor is. So he runs through this. Here's the breastplate of righteousness. Here's the belt of truth. Here are, here are these shoes that make you ready because of the gospel of peace. Here's the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. All of these are gospel privileges. And so we've said this over and over, like the Puritans used to say, The encouragement has been not to live below your privileges in the gospel, but to know what you have and what you are and to live accordingly. So this is the context. Now, okay, now picture this, picture this context. This, when we get to verse 18, which is where we are today, when you get there, this is the, the, the context that life is war, that you're in the middle of it. It's the clash of these two kingdoms. Your life is lived at the point of friction. This is the context. Okay, now, now picture at this point, and, and if you're Paul writing, what you would say now. You've given them, okay, here's the war, you've given them, here's the armor. Now, now what would be your next response, right? I mean, my next response would be, go, go do something with it, right? I mean, run and, and take no, pri- I mean, go, go after it now. But look at the first word in verse 18. It's not run, take no prisoners, it's not that. First word in verse 18 is praying. First word. You put all of these things on and then you pray. Now I want you to see the context of prayer here. These passages are, or this, these couple of verses are on prayer. Think of the context. They are, they are right in the middle of combat. Prayer is a combat issue. A wartime thing. Okay, now, to kind of get at this, let me read this. Uh, this is going to be a long quote, so you're going to have to stick with me here. It's going to be on the screen for you. Let me read this quote by John Piper that kind of gets at this idea of making sure we've got prayer in its proper context, to make sure we've got prayer in the middle of life is war. Listen to these words. <clears throat> he says this, In recent years, the key discovery I've made regarding prayer is this. In order to sustain a heart for prayer and a movement of prayer in a church or city, you have to think and talk about something besides prayer first. More specifically, there are two prerequisite lessons we must learn. The first thing I found that I need to think and talk about is war. All aspects of the Christian life are war, and there will be no peace until Jesus comes back. Now listen to this statement. I don't think it's possible for Christians to know what prayer is until they know that life is war. Just consider the reality of that. The connection between prayer and war is not left to our guesswork. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer, praying on every occasion in the Spirit, keeping awake with all perseverance. It doesn't take any exegetical ability. It doesn't take any um, superb, like, biblical understanding, or it doesn't take, like, a, a PhD in understanding the Bible to get this, is what he's saying. It doesn't take any exegetical ability to see that prayer is the power. Listen to this. Prayer is the power that wields the weapons of warfare. Take the sword of the Spirit 
praying. Prayer is not a civilian device. It's a weapon of war. So what is prayer? For war and wartime, listen to this. The primary, um, the primary reason prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is their insistence on trying to take a wartime walkie-talkie and turn it into a domestic intercom. You see this imagery? A tool made for tanks and trenches won't work when it, when you try to install it in your yacht or the lake cabin or the second, third, and fourth car. Okay, do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that there's two general ways that you can look at prayer. One is, is in the middle of combat. It's a combat issue. It's a wartime walkie-talkie. It is a way for a soldier on the field to communicate with the commander. Where are we going to go? What's the next plan? Where do we need to amass troops? Where do we need reinforcements? What's the next step? What are our directions? Where do we shoot? All of that prayer is this communication with God by which we get orders on the field to do what God's called us to do. That's one way to view prayer. See, when you view it this way, prayer becomes essential to the life of a soldier. But here's the other way to view it. The other way is to take prayer as a domestic intercom. Okay, when you view prayer this way, prayer is the thing that's not a combat like central to combat, it's a thing that pads your conveniences. This is what you do when it's a domestic intercom. It's what you do when you're sitting on the couch and need another cushion. It's what you do when when your glass is empty and you need a refill. That's what prayer becomes when it's a domestic intercom. And here's what he's saying, that this is what it is for so many Christians. And the reason it malfunctions is because we view it as a domestic intercom, not a wartime walkie-talkie. See, when it's a wartime walkie-talkie, it becomes a central issue in our life. It permeates everything we do. It is essential for us to survive on the field of battle. But when it's this domestic intercom, then we're using it for refills, right? We're using it for the padded cushion. Now it becomes relegated to what we do before a meal and what we might do if we're not too tired before we go to bed. That's prayer for us. And Paul is saying that is not the context of prayer. You need to see it in this life and death context. It is life is war and this is your means of communication. Now with that said, look at verse 18. Verse 18, there's the word all is used four times. And this is the word all is going to kind of form these hooks for us to hang the meat of this passage on. These word all. Okay, this the passage is on prayer. Now listen to how it flows here with this word all in it. First phrase, Ephesians 6.18. Praying, here's the first all. You might underline circle this one. Praying at all times in the spirit. Here's the first one. Praying at all times. Here's the first thing Paul's telling us is you and I need to be people who are praying at all times. Okay, now this is the difference between these two things. It's the difference between being a man or woman who prays and being a man or woman of prayer. A man or woman who prays, it's a peripheral issue in their life. It's what they do at major events. It's what they do before they eat. But a man or woman of prayer, everything they do is saturated by it. Everything they do. You can't catch them when they're not praying. This is the idea. A man or woman of prayer. Pray at all times. This week, as I've thought about prayer, um, I've, I've been able to read a lot of what I would just call looking back in church history, just the giants in prayer in church history. I mean, just these people that you're like, really? I mean, is that really how life worked for you? 
I mean, just these absolute enormous figures when it comes to prayer. One of these guys is a guy named Robert Murray McShane. And let me read this quote to you. He says this about prayer. And by the way, he was a a pastor in Scotland in the 1800s. Lived to 29, um, died early. Here's what he said. And I want you to listen to this real closely. A man, or what a man is on his knees, what a man is there on his knees, that he is and nothing more. What a man is on his knees, that he is and nothing more. And you know why that is? It's because you're created for closeness to God. You're created for an intimate relationship with God. And when you forsake that through prayer, you're always going to run to other things. You're going to try to fill this God-shaped void in you with what only God can fill. You're going to try to fill it with a lot of lesser things. Things that seem satisfying for the moment but never fill you. What a man is on his knees, that he is and nothing more. Another guy that I love to read on this issue is a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. He wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. I love it. And in that book, he, he says this. No man is greater than his prayer life. No woman is greater than her prayer life. Now let me ask you this question. If all we knew about you was the way you prayed, what would it tell us about your life? No man is greater, no woman is greater than their prayer life. This week for me, as I've just tried to lay this down over my life, I I just want to confess and repent of this publicly before you this morning. Um, God has really humbled me in this area. Um, He has shown me that I am, I am deficient when it comes to this. But I want you to see where repentance took me this week, um, because I think a lot of us need to go here. The, the primary issue with, with my deficiency in prayer is not that I'm not praying enough. That's not the primary issue. The primary issue, under the surface issue, is the way I view me and the way I view God. See, prayer is... Prayer is expressing to God our dependence upon Him. Prayer is, as we are on the battlefield, it is saying to the commander, I need you. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm getting shot here. I need help here. I need to know what to do next, what our next move is, who to shoot, where I need help here. That's what prayer is. Now let me tell you what a lack of prayer is. A lack of prayer, and this is what I've seen in my own heart this week. A lack of prayer is the result of us looking at God and looking at us and saying this. I think I've got the savvy, the intellect, the ability, the goods to kind of make this thing work. I think I've got, I think I've got the ability to survive on the field of battle without you. Now I know if I get into a pinch, you're there, right? But I, I think I've got, I think I'm okay here. I think I've got what it takes here. And this is why no man can be greater than his prayer life. Because when we're not praying, it's showing us that how we look at God and how we look at us are upside down. And so God has taken me to a point of repentance this week where he's just humbled me and recalibrated me to the fact that I need him. He's made me repent of my self-righteousness and my self-confidence. And I think that I've got this sneaky suspicion that a lot of us are in that position this morning. 
that we need severe repentance of our self-confidence and our self-righteousness that is seen in our prayerlessness. Okay, so Paul tells us here, pray at all times. Okay, this comes out in two primary forms of prayer. One is casual conversation. This is as you are go praying. This is um, as you work, as you drive, as you eat, as you watch, as you play, as you raise kids, as you do what you're doing in life, it's praying. It, it's just a continual state of conversation with God while you're doing everything that you're operating on two planes. One, you're doing things here, but underneath the surface, you're in this constant um, you're in this constant state of communication with God. One of my um, heroes when it comes to this idea is a guy named Brother Lawrence. I don't know how many of you have been exposed to his book. He, he wrote it in the 1800s called Practice the Presence of God. It's a little 24-page booklet. You can get it for $3 on Amazon. You should have it. It's definitely worth $3. And in that, he's, he's trying to teach people this idea of practicing the presence of God, of living continually before God in constant communication with God. And I love this statement that he says in there. He says this, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and more delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. This is what we're talking about, casual conversation. This is one form of prayer that we're always communicating, always in the presence of God, always talking to God. Okay, but there's another form of prayer where we would call it concentrated conversation, where we set aside specific time to pour our heart out to God and to listen to God. This is, um, this is Jesus in Luke 5, 16 saying, um, I'm going to withdraw to a desolate place where I'm going to pray. I'm going to get alone. And I'm going to pray there. This is, this is Matthew 6 where he's going to tell us, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. This is Matthew 26 where, where Jesus has got the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane and he takes Peter, John, and James up a little further and he says, wait here, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pray. It's setting aside specific time to get with God. Okay, now here's the, the question that always comes up. Well, what should we do more of? I mean, what, what's more important here? The answer, both are more important, right? You, you, can't, you can't just do one of them. Think about this in the context of, of a marriage. For you to have a healthy marriage, it takes both forms of communication. You've got to have casual conversation. When you go out the door, you've got to have the conversation of when are you going to be home? What are we having for dinner? Who's changing that diaper, right? I mean, what, what, what's happening today? How did your day go? Man, let me clue you in. That's more than a one-word statement, right? An answer. You need more than that. It's casual conversation. This is conversation as you go. If you don't have that in your marriage, in your relationship, you do not have a healthy relationship. It's impossible to have a healthy one without that. But there's also got to be times of concentrated conversation where you get away from kids and you talk. Where men, you take your wife on a date night and you talk to her. Where you open up the hood and you ask questions that get below the surface and you get answers that are from below the surface. You've got to have that where you are away from kids and you can have specific and concentrated conversation. Without both of those, your marriage, it's impossible for it to be healthy. The same is true with you and God. Without casual conversation here, continual living in the presence of God in continual conversation and concentrated conversation, it's impossible for your relationship with God to be healthy. It takes both of them. Okay, look in verse 18, that first phrase. I wish we had more time to spend on this, but I'm going to just have to brush over it. I love the, that last little three words. 
in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. The Spirit of God. And I'm going to say a statement here that there's no way for us to even grasp the significance of it and how it alters our prayer life. Statement is this. If you're a son or daughter of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That doesn't sound real crazy, does it? That is an absurd statement, is what that is. The Holy Spirit lives in you. If we could grasp how this altered all of life, um, we would be changed forever. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. And I want to just give you this verse out of Romans 8 real quick as it relates to this. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Aren't we thankful for that? Because we've all got a lot of weaknesses. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. But it goes on to say, here's the context of how it helps us. For we do not know what we are to pray, or how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to do that. And this is what it goes on to say. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That when you think of prayer, the Spirit of God in you leads you, prays for you, directs you in what to pray. So let me just say this and we'll, we'll go on. When the Holy Spirit brings a name or a person or a thought into your mind to pray for them, you need to do that, right? That is the Holy Spirit prompting and moving that in you. We need to cultivate this, this sensitivity to and prompt obedience to the Holy Spirit in our life. So we're praying at all times in the Spirit. Next phrase, verse 18. Here it goes. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Here's the next all. With all, you might circle that word, all prayer and all supplication. All, all prayer, supplication. So here's what he's saying. Not only pray at all times, but pray all sorts of prayers, all kinds of prayers. There are as many different ways of praying as there are as many different circumstances of life. Like think about the Psalms. The Psalms are prayer put to music, right? Now, I'm going to read off the first line in several Psalms. I want you to see this, how in the Psalms you see varied life circumstances dictating how the psalmist prays. Now, watch how this works out. Psalms 3. This is going to be up on the screen for you. Psalms 3. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. There's a sense of desperation there. Psalms 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my, listen to this word, groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Psalms 8. Now listen to the change here. I mean, this guy's almost like it's, he's schizophrenic here. Psalms 8. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We went from groaning to how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalms 10. Why, oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? Psalms 18. I love you, oh Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalms 47. Listen to the change here. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalms 51, watch this change. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 60, O God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry, O restore us. Psalm 69, save me, 
O God. Psalms 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalms 109, be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me. Psalms 115, not to us, O Lord. This is in the middle of maybe good success. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Psalms 120, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Psalms 130, out of the depths I cried to you, O God. And listen to Psalms 150 to kind of do the climax in all this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound, with Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you see this? As many as the circumstances of life, that's how many ways of praying there are. Your prayer should should match your, your circumstances right now. There are some of you right now that life is beating the mess out of you. Your prayer should reflect that. You can pray in that. Some of you um, right now, I mean, th- there has been great things happening in your life and your prayers are injected with great joy. I mean, you are the, the God is majestic praying right now, right? And there's others of us who we are just taken back maybe right now with the greatness and goodness of God over our life. We should be praying as these as many different sorts of prayers as there are circumstances. Okay, now think about this. This uh when I was in college, a guy introduced me to this acronym to kind of describe the different components of prayer. You might be familiar with it. He used this acronym of ACTS, where you've got kind of these four different components that make up prayers. So you've got this first one of adoration. Our prayer should be full of adoration to God. Well, we take who God is, His attributes, His holiness, goodness, justice, wrath, all of His attributes, beauty, perfection, and we pray those back to Him. Adoration. And then there's confession, the sea, where, where the Holy Spirit who lives in us humbles us, points out our sin to us, causes repentance in us, where we confess our sin before God and we claim the cross over those sins. Then we've got thanksgiving, another component of praying, where we, we're aware, we're cultivating this awareness of all that God is doing around us. Like right now, He's causing your heart to beat without you telling it to. He's keeping gravity in place Nobody's telling it. He's sustaining everything. Well, we're cultivating an awareness of all that God is doing around us, and we're thanking Him for that. And then you've got supplication, the S, where we are making requests to God, where we are asking God to meet our needs and the needs of those around us. He promises in the Scripture, this is a gospel promise, that He will meet all of your needs according to His glorious riches. Now, a need is different than a want, right? He'll meet all of your needs. I love this verse by, or this quote by Ligon Duncan. Listen to this. When, when you're thinking about making a request before God, he says this, God answers our prayers not as we pray them, but as he would, or as we, or as if we would pray them if we were wiser. See that? That's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. God doesn't answer your prayers as you pray them, but as you would if you were wiser. But I mean, think about this verse where in Matthew, Jesus is going to say, you know what? You don't have, you know why you don't have? Because you don't ask. I think our prayer lives sell God way short of what he wants to do in us and through us and around us. 
that we should be an asking people, begging and pleading with God to work around this supplication. Verse 18, the next all. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And then he says this, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. That we are to pray with great perseverance. Your prayer should be marked by that. And listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. Prayer is not easy. It's not an easy vocation. It's a learned vocation and a difficult vocation. It is hard work to pray. This is why words like this are associated with prayer. Words like striving and groaning and crying and wrestling. Those sort of words are accompany prayer, are situated around prayer. They give you a picture of what prayer is. And Paul's saying in the middle of that, pray with perseverance. Do you remember the story in Matthew 26 where God or Jesus has taken the disciples into the garden? Peter, John, and James, he takes a little bit further. He says, stay here and pray. I'm going over there. I'm going to pray. The day of evil was at hand. The soldiers were coming to arrest them. Everything's going down on this night. He comes back and twice, do you remember how he found Peter, James, and John? Sleeping. And I just wonder this in our prayer life. How many of us are sleeping today in it? How many of us are sleeping in it? J.C. Ryle, I think, has written one of the best single chapters on prayer. He's got a book called Practical um, Religion, or Practical Christianity. And in that, he's got a, a chapter called A Call to Prayer. And I want to read you this quote out of it. Talking about perseverance, he says this, I commend to you the importance of perseverance in prayer. Once having begun the habit, never give it up. Your heart, listen to this, your heart will sometimes say, you have had family prayers. What might it harm if you leave private prayer undone? Your body will sometimes say, you are unwell, sleepy, weary. You need not pray. Your mind will sometimes say, you have important business to attend to today. Cut short your prayers. And then he says this, look on all such suggestions as coming directly from Satan. They are all as good as saying, listen to this phrase, neglect your soul. Isn't that wild to think about? That's what prayerlessness is in our life. It's a neglect of our soul. Do you remember the story in Luke 18? where Jesus tells a parable to his disciples to stir up in them a constant and fervent prayer life. And he tells the story of a judge who has no fear of God and no respect for men and women. No respect of his position. And he's got this widow who, who an adversary has come against her and wronged her. And she is begging over and over this judge to grant her justice. And, and he, and the judge makes this comment. This unjust and uncaring judge says, I didn't want to do anything. I wasn't going to do anything. But because she just keeps on, it's better that I go ahead and grant her request as opposed to getting nagged to death by this lady, right? That's paraphrased. Okay. So, so, and here's what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples is if that is how a, a judge that does not fear God and does not care for people would grant a request for a widow in need. Think about how God, your good father, all-powerful king of the universe, no, no, nothing is outside of his scope of power. No need can he not meet. Think about how your good dad would grant your request when you ask in perseverant, alert, watchful prayer. Think about how he would do that. It's meant to fuel your prayer life. It's meant to say, keep on praying. Don't give up. Don't stop. 
George Mueller is one of my favorite guys in church history. You ought to read his autobiography sometime. When he got saved, he started praying for five men. And three of those men got, got saved almost immediately after he started praying for them, very early on. Two of the men did not. He prayed for two of these men for more than 25 years. And later in his life, he was asked this question. Do you really believe that these two men will be saved? Here's his response. Do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to answer? One, a couple of weeks before he, um, he died, guy number four gets saved. At his funeral, guy number five gets saved. Isn't that something? And I just say that to you as encouragement. Persevere in your prayers. Pray and keep praying for people who are around you that don't know the gospel. Pray for them. Nobody is is beyond the power and reach of God. There is no circumstance beyond the hope of God. Pray, keep praying, persevere. 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, all of your life, keep on praying. That's what Paul's saying here. Pray with all perseverance, alertness. Last all. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Here's the last all. Making supplication, circle this one, for all the saints. Here's what Paul's saying. That you need to be praying for people. You should be praying for people. Now I think he gives us two categories here in these, this passage. I think category number one is he's telling us you need to pray for the people of God. Okay, now, now hear what I'm about to say. Your prayers for people play a part in their capacity to stand on the field of battle. Let me say this one more time. Your prayers for people play a part as to whether or not those around you will stand on the field of battle. I heard a guy talking about this passage this week and he was talking about a situation. He was on staff at a church and some of the ministers on staff had had, had an affair, left their wife, left their family. And the pastor comes in brokenhearted over this situation. And he comes in, as he's talking about this to the staff, here's the first thing he says. Thing number one, reflex of his heart. I need to confess to you this morning that I am partly to blame for this. Because I have not prayed for these men as God has called me to pray for them. When people around you fall, stumble, is that the reflex of your heart? you see prayer like that? I am partly to blame because I have not prayed for them as God has called me to pray for them. You need to pray for the people of God around you. Daddies, do you pray for your, for your sons and daughters? Moms, do you pray for your family? Do you pray for those neighbors around you? Do you pray for people outside of the gospel? Do you pray for your community? Do you pray for your home group people? I mean, do you pray for our, do you pray for the people of God around you? This is what Paul's praying. Pray for all the saints. Do you do that? Okay, here's category number two that I think he's telling us to pray for. You got the people of God and then you've got the preachers of God. Look at verse 19. Paul goes on to say this. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, pastor, church planter, is saying this, please pray for me. So I want to ask you this question. Do you pray for your pastors? And if you don't, 
you should repent of that and you should start today. It just gets like there's a sick feeling in my stomach when I think about the pastors and the people, friends I've known in ministry who have who have fallen into immoral and just crazy things. And I want you to hear, you play a part in making sure that doesn't happen here. Or if you don't go to the church in the church you go to, you play a part in that. Pray for your preachers. And even more than falling like that, I think that the, the biggest tendency in pastors is to grow um, so fearful of men that they lose their fear of God. That they worry so much about what you will think about, what we say, what I say, that we totally lose sight of whether or not God is pleased with what we say. And this is essentially what Paul's saying here. Pray that I will declare this stuff boldly, the gospel boldly, as I ought to speak. You need to pray fervently for your pastors. Let me give you two um, encouragements, practical suggestions, one warning and then we're out. Number one, practical encouragement. When you're thinking about prayer, pray the word. Pray the word. This is the simplest way you can know for sure that you're praying according to the will of God. Simplest way. Open up any passage of scripture. If you're wondering what to pray for your kids, what to pray for your family, what to pray for your whoever, open up the Bible, just find a page anywhere, right? Read a little bit of that and ask this question. What did that mean? What did that mean right there? When when that author wrote that into that culture, what did that mean? How does that apply? And how do I pray that over this person? I, I think there's a good reason, there's a connection where Paul says in verse 17, take the, the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, next word in verse 18, praying. Take the Word, these gospel promises, and pray that over people. Open up the Word, figure out what it means, and pray that. Pray the Word. Second thing is you have to plan your praying. Casual conversation isn't planned, it's cultivated. Concentrated conversation with God has to be planned. You will not set aside time tomorrow and pray if you don't plan that today. You won't do it. You won't do it this week unless you know when you're doing it this week. You just won't do it. There's other things that will get into that urgent slot and will knock that that out of it. You've got to plan when you're going to pray and who and what you're going to pray for. And I don't want to like give you a a hard and fast rule on this. I'll I'll just tell you what I do. Here's how I structure my week in prayer. Sunday, I try to pray for Stonegate. Monday, I pray for marriage. Tuesday, I pray for our home group, the people in our home group. Wednesday, I pray for the world. Thursday, I pray for Stonegate, church, general. Elder, I mean, all the things kind of coming down the pike for Stonegate. Friday, I pray for my family, extended family. And Saturday, I pray for our community, our church leaders in the area. I'm just saying this. You need to get a plan for how you're going to pray or you'll never pray for all the different things God is asking you and calling you to pray for. Last thing, warning for you. Warning. Your standing on the field of battle, your capacity, your ability to stand on the field of battle depends on prayer, your prayer life. This, I mean, think about this in, in Matthew 26 where, where Jesus tells them as he leaves to pray in the garden, he tells them, watch and pray or you're going to fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. These are combat words. Prayer is a combat issue. If you want to stand on the field of battle, you better have a good prayer life. It's, it's the prerequisite. It requires it. Now let me end with these words by J.C. Ryle. Practical religion, a call to prayer, that chapter. I pray this soaks into your heart somewhere. We may be sure 
that men fall in private long before they fall in public. We may be sure that men fall in private long before they fall in public. They are backsliders on their knees long before they backslide openly in the eyes of the world. Like Peter, they first disregarded the Lord's warning to watch and pray, and then like Peter, their strength is gone, and in the hour of temptation, they deny their Lord. And I say that just as a parting shot and a warning for many of us in here, who the trajectory of our life is being altered by our prayerlessness. What we're failing in private and eventually, that leads somewhere. When you fail in private, prayerlessness, it goes somewhere. It leads somewhere. And so may this be a moment and a day that we repent of that. That we confess that before Jesus, we claim the cross and we make a good resolve to be men and women of prayer. All times, all sorts of prayers, all perseverance for all the saints. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.